Um, the theme today is going to be on mental health. As you read in the scripture, Philippians 2.5, the mind of Christ. That's the only way to have good mental health is to have the mind of Christ. In fact, it's essential for our eternal destiny to have the mind of Christ and not have a carnal mind, a mind unlike Christ. It's very important for us to feel just to feel joy and good about life is to have the mind of Christ. And I want to share with you quite a, a few statements from the Spirit of Prophecy this morning and this afternoon. And also this afternoon, if you want to open it up to some questions and answers, doesn't have to be related to mental health or something like that. Could be other topics as well. But let us uh, bow our head for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are gracious to us. You're so forgiving, long-suffering. And we just want to thank you for how you have been by our side from our birth, uh, always wooing us to come to you, to come closer to you. We're so thankful that you desire to have fellowship with us. So, Father, help each one of us to find that time each day to commune with you in prayer, the study of the word, to contemplate that altogether beautiful life of Jesus, to keep our mind fresh and clean, to be made holy by thinking heavenly themes and to think as Jesus thinks. So, Father, we thank you for the work you've begun in us and the work that you'll continue. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to share with you one of the reasons I'm putting together a, a series on mental health is, um, you know, a, a number of years ago I went and did my doctorate in counseling, and it was mostly just to kind of help people who are uh, depressed or things like that. It could be marriage counseling. could be a lot of different things. Um, but I began to start reading some books on what happens in the brain physiologically, and I was just absolutely fascinated that every thought we have, every thought, whether it's a good thought or a bad thought, there's a chemical reaction in our brain that affects our whole body. You are, by your thoughts, sculpting your brain. It's changing, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But when you talk about having the mind of Christ, we really can have the mind of Christ. While we have to wait till the second coming to get a new body, we can have a renewed mind. We can have the mind of Christ here and begin to see people and treat people just like Jesus. Because no matter where your thoughts have been turning for 20, 10, 20, 70 years, those new thoughts can remake the mind. Having all kinds of new connections, new pathways of behavior in your mind physiologically. And you do become born again, born from above with new thoughts, new habit centers, new pathways of behavior by the thoughts that you have. Which is why we need to contemplate the life of Christ every day and take scripture with us throughout the day. Okay? So that, and when we're tempted, and we'll talk about that, immediately turn to scripture and we'll talk about why that's important. Uh, studies have shown that thoughts, uh, uh, that thoughts alone can improve vision, fitness, strength. You've heard of a placebo effect, right? Where you got, uh, one group of people who actually take the drug and other people just take like a sugar pill. But they also have improved conditions, right? Why? Because the thoughts are that strong. The thought that you are getting well actually helps you to get well. Okay? Um, they did some uh, interesting, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a, this uh, a couple uh, studies but expectancies and learned associations have been shown to change brain chemistry and circuitry, 
which results in real physiological and cognitive outcomes, such as having less fatigue, uh, reducing anxiety. So every thought you have, you are having new brain chemistries going on, new circuitry. You can develop new pathways again of behavior. They did a, a study on these taxi cab drivers in London, and there's a part of the brain near the center of the brain that has to do with visual and spatial memory. And these taxi cab drivers, they would always be driving, and they'd have to figure out, okay, i got to go here. And then they get a new person who jumps in their cab, and they're going somewhere different. But they found that in that part of the brain that has to do with visual and spatial memory, that part of their brain grew the longer they are a taxi cab driver. Because these are real physiological changes happening in your brain. And because the taxi cab driver needed that kind of cognitive ability, that part of the brain actually grew. Fascinating, isn't it? Think of your mind as the movement of information through your nervous system, which on a physical level is all the electrical signals running back and forth, back and forth. You're listening to me right now, but you see how fast those electrical connections are taking place, right? You're listening. You're having thoughts. It happens that fast. Oh, way faster than I can snap my fingers. A thought travels through your brain. Neurons fire together in distinctive ways based on specific information being handled. And those patterns of neural activity actually change your neural structure. You're structuring your brain. You're sculpting your brain. This is why you don't want to watch things that are unhealthy. Because you're setting off different kinds of chemicals. And those chemicals will create new pathways. And you begin to become that kind of person. That's why you don't want to watch immorality and crude jesting and violence on television. You want to think about that which is good and wholesome because it's going to fire all different kinds of chemicals in your brain, all of which is sculpting your mind. And that's the person who you are. And this was kind of a fascinating study, and I didn't bring it with me, but you've heard of the fight, uh, fight or fear and flight syndrome, you know, where you get into a situation and what they say is that your brain will just, a certain part of your brain will just shut down and you just go into automatic pilot. Which means that your reaction to a stressful situation is based upon how you've already trained your brain. So that, this is why Ellen White talks about in a stressful, uh, in a crisis, is not when you're developing character, it reveals character. Because your brain actually shuts down like that and you're only acting out of automatic pilot based upon the thoughts you've already had in your life. So when you think about a stupendous crisis that's going to hit the earth and you're going to have to make decisions, you will already want to be like Jesus then. Don't think about the stupendous crisis and then decide, now I want to be like Jesus. No, we need to choose to be like Jesus now before the crisis. Does that make sense? This is from an article, How Your Thoughts Program Your Cells. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? There are thousands upon thousands of receptors on each cell in our body. Each receptor is specific to one peptide or protein. When we have feelings of anger, sadness, guilt, excitement, happiness, or nervousness, 
Each separate emotion releases its own flurry of neuropeptides. Each emotion has its own chemical, right? Those peptides surge through the body and connect with those receptors which change the structure of each cell as a whole. You keep firing certain emotions, certain thoughts. It's structurally changing things in your mind. So if you have been bombarding yourselves with peptides from negative thoughts, you are literally programming your cells to receive more of the same negative peptides in the future. What's even worse is that you're lessening the number of receptors of positive peptides on the cells, making yourself more inclined toward negativity. Now that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Boy, I sure wish I learned that when I was like five years old or something, you know. And then you start thinking about all those years where maybe we harbored some negativity and it influenced our life. But here's the good news. Every cell in our body is replaced about every two months. You can program your pessimistic cells to a more optimistic way of looking at the world. You and I can choose to be grateful. We can choose to be kind. We can choose to be thankful. We can choose all these wonderful things that release different chemicals that's actually going to re-sculpture your brain to become more like the mind of Christ. So when the Bible says you can have the mind of Christ, that's a literal statement. That can really literally happen, but you've got to get engaged in the battle. And the battleground is what's happening right up here in your thoughts, which is why we need to hide Scripture in our heart. Treasure, build up that treasure chest of scripture and spiritual thoughts, things that are holy, because this is how you respond to temptation. This is what's forming your character, which is what's going to perform, you know, uh, prepare you for this stupendous crisis ahead. Now, your biology does not determine your destiny, but your biology and your brain de- actually determines what you've already been thinking. So if you could actually look at someone's biology of their brain, you could probably figure out how they've been thinking throughout their life. But it's our thoughts, our attitudes, our perceptions that would determine our eternal destiny. They say 5 to 10% of our gene mutation is due to health issues. But that means that 90, 95% of gene mutation is based upon life circumstances and influencers in your life and how you react to them. You have the opportunity every day, no matter what happens, to become better and not bitter. Your brain can begin to think as Jesus thinks, whether it's a stressful situation or a nice situation. It's your reaction to it will affect more of who you are. But what we eat and everything else affects us as well. Well, I want to begin uh, focusing more on some spirit of prophecy and Bible statements. Uh, Maybe on June 16th uh, when I'm here. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more of the physiology of the brain, if that's okay with you. But I want to just talk more about just mental health, just from principles right now. From the book Desire of Ages, page 330. In the heart of Christ, where reigned perfect harmony with God, there was perfect peace. He was, he was never elated by applause nor dejected by censure or disappointment. Amid the greatest opposition and the most cruel treatment, he was still of good courage. 
That's a beautiful mind. That's what we want. Because what's coming are some very stressful situations of which to be a witness in the end of time is not just to declare the truth, but to respond in an appropriate manner, in a Christ-like way, to those who take away your freedoms. Those who take away your ability to buy and sell is our opportunity to exercise and think just like Jesus would think. That will be the greatest proof to the truths that we believe is how we respond to all these stressors in a loving manner to return good for evil. And that's why the Bible says in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what does this what does this mean? Jesus is your best friend that you commune with every day in prayer and study. How else can it happen? If you want to be like so-and-so, don't you have to spend time with so-and-so? If you want to think like them and behave like them and see people and treat people like them, you simply have to be with them. There's no other way. And by being with Jesus... Um, it will encourage us and enable us to think as Jesus in every situation. To have the mind of Christ, we would have to have the thoughts of Christ. We have to think about things that Jesus thought about. Does that make sense? So as we study the word, we ask, as we study scripture, what did Jesus see in this person? Why did he say this to this person? How did Jesus treat people? How did he look at this person? The woman at the well. And the disciples are saying, what are you doing with this woman at the well? Jesus obviously looked at her different. Jesus looked at Nicodemus different. Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery different. He looked at all these people he was criticized of eating with as different. But he looked at them all the right way. It was the world that wasn't looking at each other the right way. Their thoughts were wrong. And we could be the same way. We could look at each other in a wrong way. But we need to look at each other as Christ looks at us, to have the mind of Christ. And that's church life. And then people know that we've been with Jesus. How we treat one another. Isn't that what Jesus says? How you love one another. They'll know that you're my disciples. You know, in that upper room experience just before Pentecost, they settled all their differences. And that then God can entrust them with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Nine Testimonies, page 88, the professed followers of Christ must be led not by the dictates of their own will. His mind, his mind, the follower of Christ, his mind must be, listen to this word, must be trained to think Christ's thoughts and enlightened to comprehend the will and way of God. Such a believer will be a follower of Christ's methods of work. I just found it fascinating in those two sentences, training the mind, have the mind trained by watching the methods of Christ. Isn't that interesting? So you watch how Jesus reached out to people. But you see, right there is an important part of good mental health, is that you and I want to make a positive difference in other people's lives. And I can attest to this. If you don't take an interest in somebody else's salvation, you will never have good mental health. You and I have to be willing to be a blessing to other people to have good mental health. Because it's Jesus' method of how he reached out to people, how he did everything he could possibly do to turn them to the truth that made him have the greatest mind ever in human flesh. 
and we watch Christ's method, how he spoke to people, how he treated people, that's good mental health. You know, as it says in uh, somewhere in Christ's object lesson about Christ's method alone will bring bring true success, that was his method. He would mingle with people as one who desired their good. He didn't just mingle and talk about worldly things. He didn't do that. But if you do that, that affects the chemical reactions in your brain. If you and I are accustomed to meeting people and only talking about worldly things, it's sculpting your brain. You and I need to begin to think about more spiritual things and be more serious about our conversations with people so that they know that we have an eternal interest in their soul. We're not trying to force them into our church. We don't just want them to be baptized. We mingle as one who desires their good, whatever is best for them. And then we do everything we can to minister to their needs. We win their confidence. And then we say, come, follow Jesus. But there's a part of good mental health where we encourage people to make decisions. Because if you never ask someone to follow Jesus, that affects you, not just them. It affects the way you think. You see, there's only one good way to have good mental health. And that's to follow Jesus. He is the, he is the example. There isn't another example out there. He is the example. In the second volume of Mind, Character, and Personality, page 666, bad page, right? He, Christ, died for me that I might be blessed and that his joy might remain in me. Therefore, I keep my mind in that channel. I educate it. Isn't that interesting? I educate it, my mind. I train it. I train my tongue. I train my thoughts. I train all there is of me that I may fasten it upon Jesus Christ. Now, this first part of the sentence is key. He, Christ, died for me that I might be blessed and that his joy might remain in me. And when I think about what Christ did for me, and the joy I might have in experiencing his joy, that's how I'm to train my mind. That's the channel of our thoughts. You keep thinking about what Christ has done for you and the joy he wants in your heart this very second. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be joyous. He wants you to know that you're forgiven. He wants you to have all that burden of sin off your shoulder and know that he's the redeemer and the great work he's began in you, he's going to continue. And if you keep putting your thoughts in those kinds of channels, you're going to be a happy person. And you just keep training your thoughts, thinking and educating yourself along those lines about how good and gracious and loving and how you can trust him. But if you start thinking about how maybe he doesn't love me or maybe I can't trust him, you just set up a bunch of other chemicals in your brain. You're sculpting your brain in a different direction where you begin to distrust him. And then what are you going to do when the great stupendous crisis happens? You will react just exactly who you are. Fascinating. Well, there's two vital lessons for having the mind of Christ for spiritual mental health. Number one, our thinking plays a major role in determining our destiny. Let's look at um, the book of Romans, chapter 12, very familiar verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. What? Not our hands, right? It's our mind, right? Be not conformed to this world, the world's way of thinking, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'm going to say this, you know, as much as I want to stay in tune with what's happening in the world, I got to be very careful not to allow my mind to be conformed to the opinions of Fox or CNN or MSNBC. Because the way they think is not going to prepare me for heaven. I want to know what's happening, but I don't want to be influenced by their opinions. Because ultimately, what's on the news isn't actually telling people what's just about ready to happen. You and I know what's just about ready to happen. And we need to think in terms of being ready. But we stay in tune with the news. But be very careful, friends, that you don't idolize men. You don't worship men's opinions. You worship the mind of Christ. You worship him. And above everything else, you want to think just like Jesus thinks. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 23. The book of Proverbs, chapter 23. Another very familiar verse. 23, verse 7. So I hear this on, hmm, she already knows it over here. Proverbs 23, verse 7. Says, for as he thinketh, or as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are the sum total of your thoughts. And those thoughts are always releasing a chemical reaction in your brain, which is sculpting your brain, making you the person that you are. And signs of the times, June 30th, 1881. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The thoughts and feelings cherish, give direction to conduct, and thus determine the character. So it's not just your thoughts, it's also your emotions. So if you feel hatred towards someone, we have to deal with that, right? You can't harbor that because it's going to affect and determine who you are as far as your character, right? So we can pray to God and say, Father, I don't love this person. I know that you love them, but I don't love them. By nature, I've had these ill feelings, and I want you to forgive me for my ill feelings, Father. But I want to have your love for this person because you sent your son to die for this person, already knowing what he would have done to me and whoever else. So, Father, let me have your love for person A, that I might love him as you love him. Because, you know, what we realize is that without God, we can do nothing. Do you realize I can't love anybody in this sanctuary without God's love in my heart? I can do it in a kind of a, you know, an earthly kind of love. But not agape love. Agape love comes from above. Everything that good is good comes from where? From above. And if we don't have what's good, because we didn't ask for it. But you can have the humility of Jesus. You can have the love of Jesus. You can have the faith of Jesus. You can have the mind of Jesus. But you got to ask for it. And so when we wake up in the morning, we say, Father, by nature, I do not have humility. But, Father, may I have the humility of Jesus. Why do you want the humility of Jesus? Because you know somewhere during the day, someone's going to cross you. Someone's going to say something that's going to affect your ego. And you don't want to lose that battle. You want to react to it with the humility of Jesus. So it won't matter what someone says or does to you. You'll always be able to react by the the, the loveliness, the humility of Jesus, because that will form who you are. If you want to heart, hang on to grudges, that's who you are. And the longer you hang on to them, the more you'll hang on to grudges. It's just a chemical reaction. From the book, 
from uh, manuscript release number 11, um, page 191. Never forget that thoughts work our actions. Repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. So when you have these repeated thoughts, eventually that turns into an action, the, the way you're going to lean, right? And you start giving in and start repeating those actions, that's going to actually start forming habits. We have these little habit centers in our brain called boutons. It's a French word for button because these little habit centers look like little buttons. And the more times you repeat a thought or an action, the stronger that habit center gets so that you're more likely to do it. So when I became a Christian at the age of 20, for the first time in my life, I wanted to study the Bible. For the first time in my life, I wanted to tell, tell people about Jesus. Prior to being converted, I didn't even have a habit center in my brain to study the Bible. I didn't have a habit center in my brain to tell people about Jesus. But once I was converted, the Holy Spirit can plant new behavior in you. He can start a new habit center in you that never existed. My mother had smoked three packs of cigarettes a day for who knows how many years. And when she accepted Christ, he took that away. Now, God doesn't do that with every temptation. Some of them he can take just away from you. Have you experienced that? You were no longer tempted. And other other people say, I came to Christ and I still had to struggle with this. But it, it taught me to turn to Christ, to lean on him. And you know, the Holy Spirit knows just how to do that. He knows the ones that he can just take away from you, where you don't feel tempted anymore. And those that drive you to depend upon Christ, which we're to do all the time, so that we learn that we don't have this victory by ourselves, but by grasping on to divine power. From the book Education, page 108, the harvest of life is character. And it is this that determines destiny, both for this life and for the life to come. And character, again, thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to habits, habits lead to character. All begins with those chemical reactions of every thought that you have. Education, page 225. Character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was it diligently studied so important as now. I don't know if you ever read in the book Temperance, I think it's around page 12, where Satan had asked all the evil angels to come up with a plan to destroy the human family. And they all kind of came up with one. Listen, Satan's listening, yeah, 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 that sounds pretty good. And then, then he came up with one of his own. He says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the things that God has made that are healthy, like wheat, and we're going to take it and turn it into a poison like alcohol, like vodka. So that if you can start destroying the human body, what else are you going to start destroying? The mind itself. Let me, I'll give you a few examples of how, how sensitive this brain is. I mean, it's, it's in this shell and it's kind of like soft butter. So when you see football players, right, that are now having dementia and all these other kinds of problems, because they keep hitting their head against each other, right? And it's having an effect. So there's this really nice man. I forget his name. But anyway, some people say he was about the nicest young man he ever met. And he got in a car accident, and he bumped his head against the windshield. And he goes to the hospital. He's got a scratch. The doctor says, yeah, you got a scratch. You're fine. You can go. Three months later, he gets in another car accident, bumps his head even harder. Boom. Hits his head. Goes to the hospital. You got a scratch. You're okay. Go home. 
Well, his character started changing drastically. Here was a super nice guy. He had a roommate, but he started eating all his roommate's food. And his roommate says, hey, buy your own food. Well, he got so angry at his roommate that one night, waiting for his roommate to come home, he had the butcher knife from the kitchen waiting for him to walk through the front door. What happened? Something happened to his brain, didn't it? What happened to his brain? Trauma. Two million traumas every year. People getting whacked. Anybody here fall on your head? And you usually don't think about it. You ask somebody in counseling, you say, well, have you ever had trauma in your life? Have you ever bumped your head? No, I don't think so. And you talk to me, you know, I do remember falling from a tree like 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, you just thought of that, huh? Oh, yeah, it's like a second-story building, too, you know? I mean, it's how do you forget this stuff? But trauma affected the way they thought. A little kid, boy named Billy, nicest kid, played with kids. Uh, he was just everybody's best friend. And then all of a sudden, he was so rude, he treated all the other kids really bad. Uh, talked about homicide. A nine-year-old. What, how, what, how's a nine-year-old talk about homicide? Well, they took him to a bunch of psychiatrists and they listened to him and gave him some prescribed drugs, didn't help. They went to every kind of therapist they can think of and just thought, well, maybe Billy or Jimmy just turned into be a bad kid. Do you know, they did a brain scan and found that there was a cyst on the side of his brain that was growing and it was putting pressure on his brain that changed his behavior. So when you start thinking about what Satan's trying to do, he wants you to drink the vodka. He wants you to take the drugs. He wants you to smoke cigarettes. Why? It's actually affecting your, the physiology of your brain, which is going to affect your character, which is going to affect your destiny, because this is where you make all your decisions. You see, God gave us a health message not to somehow earn salvation by what's on our fork. It was to protect our brain, simply to protect our brain. Good circulation, pure blood, your frontal lobe, everything works well. Now, you gotta protect it, you don't go out there and start, you know, banging your head against the wall. And you gotta do other things. But the biggest thing is your thoughts. Your thoughts is gonna determine more about the health of your brain than anything that you can do. So what does a heavenly character building consist? This is from Manuscript Release, volume 21, page 230. It is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness, that self becomes transformed by taking Christ's yoke upon you and then submitting to learn. So, it's by learning the habits of Christ. Well, to learn the habits of Christ, we have to study the life of Christ. And the things you're particularly looking for in the life of Christ is his meekness and his lowliness. Why would we look for that? Because the problem with our natural heart or natural mind, it's carnal. And it's self-centered. Always want to protect self. That's very unhealthy. I mean, look at our world. Only in this world do people go around and rape people. That you have wars and people round up killing people. There's no other world like this. There's no other world where people try to make a buck by selling drugs to somebody else knowing it's going to destroy their life. Only in this world where people think like that. It's terrible the way our world thinks. It's so contrary to the rest of the universe. And to think about how any, how God's going to get anybody out of this fallen world with this faulty kind of thinking is just a major miracle. 
But the beautiful thing is, is your brain can change. You can sculpt your mind to be like the mind of Christ, but you've got to cooperate with divine power and you've got to keep your focus on Jesus and take your time with Jesus seriously every day. Don't just say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I know which day is the Sabbath. I know what I'm supposed to eat. I know what happens when a person dies. Therefore, I'm safe. No, it's your thoughts that's going to make you safe. It's where your thoughts are. It's where your heart is. We need to have these doctrines so as not to be deceived. So we don't take the mark of the beast. So they don't start talking to spirits, these demons pretending to be loved ones. It protects us from all that. But we're still talking about character here. It's character that determines your destiny for heaven. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And how long do I have? Till 12 what? 12.25? Oh, 12.40, I see. Okay. Did I say 1 Peter 5.8? Okay. I hope I wrote it down right. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Do you believe that? How is Satan trying to devour you? He's trying to influence your thoughts. Because thoughts turn into actions. Actions form habits. Habits form your character. He's submitting thoughts to you. I don't know how he does it. But we, I mean, you just look at this political scenery today. Do you feel like there's propaganda in politics? Sure, it's, it's trying to affect your thoughts. You gotta be, we gotta be very, very careful here. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our real enemy, isn't it? You know, the devil took a third of the angels. I don't know how many of that is. That's probably billions. What are they doing? You know, we were involved in helping this one young person, praying for this person who was demon-possessed. There were seven different demons that came out of this person. And they, they actually identify themselves as a demon of lust and a demon of homosexuality and a demon of this and a demon of that. It's like these demons have specializations of trying to influence people's minds a certain way. They suggest things. Patriarchs and prophets, or I'm sorry, prophets and kings, page 645. However craftily the plots of Satan and his agents may be laid, God can detect them. And bring to naught all his, all their counsels. The response of faith today will be the response made by Nehemiah, which says, Our God shall fight for us, for God is in the work, and no man can prevent its ultimate success. That's a very important statement, because we're just about ready to come to a point here where you and I are no match for Satan. But Satan is no match for God. Because it says right here, God can detect every everything Satan does. Everything he wants to do to you, God already knows ahead of time. So if you place yourself on the side of God, you got God fighting for you. Which means he brings everything Satan's trying to do to you to nothing. But if you try to fight Satan by yourself, 
then Satan will tempt you with some thoughts and you'll go in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? Manuscript release, volume 15, page 344. But Satan must be rebuked as in olden time in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This in faith we must ask the Lord to do and he will fulfill his word. The Lord will hear prayer. That's a promise. You reach out to God in that moment and you'll be delivered. Okay? Review and Herald, September 6, 1906. Bear in mind that it is, that is none but God that can hold an argument with Satan. The sentiments of the enemy are to be met with a plain, thus saith the Lord. Human infirmity will not be able to resist the devil. So I know that by my infirmity, the fact that I'm in this fallen body, very finite, very fallible, that there's no way that I can resist or win against Satan's devices. But if I put God on my side, everything that Satan's trying to do comes to nothing. So what's our part? I want us to look at that. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 7. James 4, verse 7. Could have been our opening text. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, so when you're tempted by a thought from Satan, what do you do? You submit yourself unto God. How do you submit yourself unto God? Scripture. You're tempted with this particular thought, and you meet it immediately to resist it with Scripture. Because let me tell you this. If you're watching violence on television, you may disagree theologically with what you're watching. But if you keep watching it and you don't resist it, your brain records it as if you believe in it. Why? Because you keep watching it and you don't resist it. You have to resist it. And we're going to talk about Jesus in the wilderness because when Jesus was in the wilderness and the three temptations, do you know that Satan left there knowing that he was already defeated? And this is just the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When he tempted Jesus with those three temptations, he knew he was defeated by how Jesus responded to the temptation. And that's why we need to look at this. Jesus did something that Satan could say and look at his mind and say, I can't touch him. I'll never get him to sin. And we need to see what Jesus did there. Because that's the key to victory, friends. So I want us to look at, before we get there, I want us to look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 2. The Gospel of John, chapter 13 and verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What happened right there? (laughs) Satan was actually suggesting thoughts to Judas, wasn't he? says it right there. And Judas didn't respond with what? 
Scripture. He kept thinking about. He kept thinking about what Satan was suggesting to him. And by thinking about it, what was likely going to happen? It was going to turn into an action. Because thoughts turned into actions. Actions turned into habits. Habits form character. See, it's all about the process of thinking. Now, I want you to look at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why hast Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart, that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? So Satan was suggesting to Ananias and Sapphira to do something, to go back on a vow. They were going to give all the proceeds from the sell this land to the Lord's work. And then Satan had put in their mind to keep back some of the sum. Now, it's not a sin that the thought came to Ananias' Ananias's mind. There's a key word here that led to Ananias' fall. What's the word in verse 4? Why hast thou conceived? Why did you allow that thought to be given birth? Why did you encourage that thought that it actually led you to do what you said you wouldn't do. You wanted to do the right. A thought came to your mind and you conceived it. You allowed it to come forth and have birth, to become alive, and now it led you to lie to God. The problem wasn't that the thought came to mind. The problem is that he allowed it to be conceived. He allowed it to have life. And he didn't resist that thought. So this is all about mental health. This is all about the formation of character. Review and Herald, March 27th, 1888. There are thoughts and feelings suggested and aroused by Satan that annoy even the best of men. But if they are not cherished, if they are not, if they are repulsed as hateful, the soul is not contaminated with guilt and no other is defiled by their influence. Wow, isn't that, that's a pretty clear statement. An evil thought comes to mind. If you respond to it, a repulse is repulsed as hateful. You say, I hate that thought. That's what it takes, friends. An evil thought comes to mind, you say, I hate that thought. And then... Um, and you don't cherish it. But that's the reaction. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 4. See what Jesus did here. Matthew chapter 4. But you see, I think a lot of times when we're tempted with a thought, we don't respond immediately and say, I hate that thought. Because you may actually enjoy that thought. And you keep thinking that thought. And maybe it doesn't turn into an action because it's not, there's no opportunity. But if there's an opportunity, perhaps there would be an action. And then that action leads to different chemical reactions in your brain. 
and you're more likely to do it again. This is why we've got to keep the mind pure. We have to keep the mind pure, friends. So, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, we can assume that when Jesus heard those words, he repulsed them as hateful. Because these were words that were intimidating him or tempted him to think that he wasn't the son of God. And that somehow he would have to perform a miracle to, per- to actually prove that he was the son of God. So Jesus immediately repulsed it and replaced it with what? Scripture. So in James 4, 7, submit yourself unto God. An evil thought comes to mind. You immediately repulse it as hateful and you quote scripture. When you do that, who's now on your side? God's on your side. Because here's the fact. You're not the one that makes Satan flee. By putting God on your side, God makes Satan flee. I can't defeat Satan. God defeats Satan. So if I place myself on God's side by repulsing the evil thought and quoting scripture, so if I only know one scripture, what should I do? What if it has nothing to do with that temptation? I still got to quote it anyway. What if I only know one line in a hymn? Just take that one hymn. But in each one of these temptations of Jesus, you see that the text had to do exactly with the temptation. Which is why we need to study the Bible every day. And why don't we begin studying, realizing our weaknesses. Say, Father, what are my weaknesses? What are the scriptures I need right now to be victorious that I can store in the treasure chest of my heart so that when I'm tempted with this, that I can quote this scripture. I can turn to your word and I submit myself unto you. Does that sound like a fair program? Whose mind is the only mind that has successfully overcome Satan's temptations? This is Jesus' mind. So we turn to him. Now, when I, when I look at what happened to Eve, Satan suggested something to her. What did she do? She entered a dialogue with him. Is there a problem there? What should she have done? Immediately what? Repulsed it. Turned to scripture that God said, thou shalt not eat of every tree in the garden except for the one in the midst of the garden. And she would have been fine. But because she didn't immediately repulse it, and she entered a conversation with Satan, so she allowed that thought, that temptation to be what? Conceived into her heart. It led her to do what? It led her to sin. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's the same thing that happens to us. So, we'll come back this afternoon... And we'll pick more of this up, and again, we can have. But the one thing we want to do is it says that we should study Scripture, uh, that we study Scripture that we may not sin against God. Isn't that exact? What's the Scripture there? I have, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. You remember that one? We'll find it this afternoon. 
But friends, what I want to encourage us all is that no matter where your thoughts have traveled, no matter what your habit centers are today, we can have a renewed mind. God is a forgiving God who came here not to condemn us, but to save us. God wants us all here to be happy and joyous and victorious. Our mind can be remade, resculptured into the mind of Christ. But we have to take a part in this and enter into this battle. And let's begin each day trying to memorize some scripture. Try to maybe even get some hymns. If it's easier to learn a song, learn a song. But whatever you do, you've got to start treasuring things in your heart because in this battle, the devil's got a thousand ways to tempt you. And you want to have ammunition. You want to have ammunition to stand up against it and place yourself on the side of God by submitting to his word, which has power, and he'll get the devil to flee. And friends, if we do that and mesh that with our message, this is a movement the devil can't stop. Because when, when the devil saw Jesus repulse those temptations immediately and quote scripture, what did he see? He saw a mind he'd never seen before. He saw a mind in Jesus that says, I hate sin. He doesn't hate sinners. There's a difference. He hates sin. He hates anything that's in a disagreement with his father. And he will put scripture right behind it immediately. And the devil knew that just by the way Jesus reacted to those temptations, he was never going to get Jesus to sin. And if you and I have a movement of people who react the same way to temptation, the devil's going to tremble, friends. And then God can entrust us with a ladder rain and we can go home. But it's going to take discipline in training the mind to think as Jesus thinks. Before we have our closing hymn, uh, or I'm sorry, before we have our closing prayer, our closing hymn is number 311, 311.